Hey, I'm Robbie Kramer. You're listening to the Leverage Podcast, where we discuss using your social skills to hack dating, travel, finding your dream job, and becoming a complete man. So I want to welcome everybody to the Leverage Podcast. We got uh, Anthony Johnson, who is a longtime near and dear friend of mine, also the founder of the 21 Convention and 21 Studios, you call it now, right? Yes, that's the new master brand. Ah, nice. And super stoked to have him on the podcast. This guy is fucking amazing. Um, you know, if, if you go to the21convention.com and you check out the videos, it's just an insane amount of amazing knowledge um, from some of the world's greatest dating coaches, uh, health and fitness guys, lifestyle guys, political stuff, you name it, if, the, if it has any interest in, in the manosphere. Um, he has had some awesome speakers, doctors on there. Um, I've spoken at his convention, I think, four times now, and I was host of it twice, which I was very honored to, to be. Um, and I'm speaking at it again, coming this October 20th through the 23rd in Miami. Super stoked about that. And uh, Anthony, thanks so much for being on the call. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I uh, Come to think of it, I saw Sasha go on one of these ones back in my house uh, last year. So it's good to be on and uh, glad yeah, that was just a few months ago. I think he was on. I think he said he was shacking up with you. Yeah, yeah, he was always, uh, when I was married, he used to crash my house a lot. So I just remember seeing him, like, calling these calls and stuff. I was like, what is Robbie doing? Yeah, I think there's a decent amount of guys who are even in, in Leverage who eventually kind of found me through the 21 convention. So um, nice. everyone, I, I, there's, I don't think there's anyone on this call who at least hasn't heard of it or hasn't heard me reference it. So should be some good questions coming later but uh yeah tell us a little bit more about the convention this year and kind of what to expect what's new or anything anything you know to update us yeah sure so this is our as you know robbie our second event of the year uh it's the first main 21 convention of the year it's the only one so it's the 21 convention 2016 in miami but we had a small event recently in orlando where we were founded called the under 21 convention which, as you know, also is a callback to original brand, the Under-21 Convention. Uh, so that was really cool. That just went down in Orlando a few months ago, back in June, really good time. And the Miami event coming up is twice as long as that event. So it's four days long. We haven't had an event this long since you first spoke in Orlando back in 2011, I think. 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2011 you spoke the first time, right? Yeah, 2011. Uh, yep. So in doing that, we have, you know, the biggest and longest event we've had in like many years. As we shortened it after that year, you first spoke to three days, which is still a hell of an event. But not making it four days again is really awesome. And new to this event, uh, something we just added recently back into the event in Orlando, but we're doing it again now in Miami. It looks like we're going to have two Q&A panels at the event. So in addition to speaking, Robbie, like your own speech for like an hour, mm-hmm. you can also come up later if you want. It's optional, but basically everyone will do it. And uh, we're going to have two Q&A panels and we'll just split the speakers half and half. So like 10, 10 or 12, 12, depending on the final count and uh, who's available. And that was really fun in Orlando. Like we haven't done that in a long time since before you even spoke. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do one, I think, when you spoke in 2011. So it's cool having everyone up there. I love the Q&As. Oh, yeah, dude. It's awesome. I mean, it's fun in your own speech, right? Like at the end to get feedback like that. But to have all the speakers up on the stage at the same time, like getting a question from the audience and then like debating it, arguing, like fucking around, but being taken it seriously also like the content. 
uh, it's a really cool dynamic that speakers interact like that and with the audience at the same time. <laughs> it's so totally. you'll be up there, I'll be up there, Steve, uh, James Marshall, all these guys. It's, it's, it's great because there's so many like big personalities up there too. I can only, uh, I can only yeah. imagine the sort of potential fireworks yeah. or, or just really good discussion that'll come out of that. We did something um, similar at yeah. Sasha's event in Belgrade um, a year ago last summer, and um, it led to some, some really awesome content too. So I'm, I'm stoked for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also planning at this event too since it's four days uh, we're going to do the Heroes Dinner again, of course, where you can sit down as an attendee with the speakers for one night over dinner. But also, we're going to try to plan up some more. We did this in Orlando recently, too, at Sox House. We had, like, a huge party. So we're not going to quite have that in Miami, but we're going to have, like, more routine and more consistent uh, kind of meetups at night. So meeting up at a bar, being able to meet with the speakers if you guys want, and uh, being able to, like, hang out, like, in a relaxed environment, depending on, you know, who's available and what you, know, you have going on. But we did that in Orlando at Sox House, and it was awesome. I remember. That was great. That was a fun party. I think we had, what were we doing with the girls there? There was, like, people were trying some, like, pickup, not, not like, pickup, but, like, a lift move that someone <laughs> did on stage. Oh, um, that's right. You went, oh, so you're talking about Sox House in 2011. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, dude, no, in Orlando recently, we had the whole event go to his house. Not, like, <laughs> half of it, like, everyone. What the fuck were we doing to those girls? There's like some technique where you like lift them, but one girl like fell down and like. <laughs> I remember that vaguely, but dude, I'm always so dead at the end of the event. Like I don't even that it's in my head, but I don't remember yeah. the specifics of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a really good time. Like that kind of like people always see the convention as like speeches, you know, like videos. But you know better than that because you've been there a bunch. That it's really the experience of being able to like interact with the attendees, with the speakers, with the staff that's what makes like a really awesome experience. So I want to make sure we get more of that uh, in Miami too. Totally. And that's one of the things that I, I talk about that a lot too, with the guys in leverage, like, yeah, it's one thing to like be in the group and like, you know, get the coaching, get the feedback and learn some stuff. But the really great value is the people you meet. And that's certainly yeah. true from the convention. When you go there and you like actually see the speeches versus just watch the YouTube videos, it's so much, you know, you get so much more out of it. Plus, you know, you get to be at the event the whole time. And a lot of speakers, like, you're a good example. Uh, You know, at least half the speakers are there, like, basically the whole time. And you guys hang out, you watch the speeches, you guys talk to the attendees here and there. And that is also, I think, really unique to the convention. Because most events, you know, are like that. They get really huge, and then it's like this, you know, you talk to a speaker for, like, two seconds. They sign a book or something you have, and then you're done. But at our event, of course, you can, like, interact, and there's a lot more uh, intimacy to it. And the other thing is all the guys in the room are fucking awesome guys. Like the exact type of guys yep. that they're like clones of you. Right. And I like hanging out <laughs> with guys like me and guys like you, cause we're the fucking same. So like as a place to like look for friends or look for other guys who are kind of walking the same path, there's no better place. Um, yeah. So that alone. It's basically networking with, with really similar people, but not just for business, but like for life. Mm-hmm. So, and that's hard man if you're into self-improvement and you take it seriously like it's hard to find people around where you live usually or even interact with in person to, to do that totally but anyways a lot a lot of uh cool shit has gone down with you one of the things i'm really curious to to hear and um i'd love for you to share if it's if it's too uh 
you know, if you don't want to share, obviously you don't have to. But a lot of the thing that we talk about in the leverage group is just how people run their businesses, entrepreneurship. Um, you know, there's a ton of stuff on dating. But I think the guys would really love to hear a lot about, you know, how you started the convention, how you monetize it. Um, a lot of people have yeah. the, the misconception that when you put on a big event, you make a bunch of money. But usually, most yeah. people lose a lot of money on big events because of all the expenses. Um, and then they find yeah. ways to make money from the content later on. Um, yep. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about, you know, and fuck, you've been doing it since how old? You were like 19 or 20 when you started it? 17. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I started organizing it when I was 17, and then we had the first event at 18. Technically, this year is our 10 year anniversary, but given my personal life this year, and the fact that it's only been nine years of events, I'm held at holding off till 2017 to make it the 10-year official anniversary. So I've been cranking away at it for a while. You started Intercontinence, I think, around then too, right? 07, 06, 08. Or no, you're working for Pickup 101 back then. Yeah, I started with Pickup 101 in 07. Got into this stuff in 06, okay. and then I started IC in like very late 2008, early 2009. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll just kind of start from the beginning and let me know when I've rambled too long. Please. Uh, I just got out of high school. I uh, moved up to Orlando from my hometown, which is a couple hours away, about 200 miles. And I was meeting guys in the local lair, but almost all of them were like 30, 40, almost 50 years old sometimes. So I was 17. I was the only minor they let in. And uh, they were really like worried about that because I was a minor. And they were like, fuck, this kid's not even an adult. <laughs> But they let me in, and through that, I got to meet a lot of guys through the lair. And then by meeting guys who were older, uh, you know, pursuing, like, you know, better success with women and better confidence and dating skills, it left me kind of uh, in a difficult position to relate to them because they were, like, you know, 35. I'm like, how does this guy have problems with women? Like, I can't. It's, I understand he does, but it's, like, very difficult to, to kind of grasp, like, how that is for him versus me at 17. So I had the idea to form like a meetup group, like you would like a meetup.com for under 21 guys. And I put this out on the Mr. Method form and people went apeshit for it. And they were like, yeah, we should do it in Orlando, like where you're at. And it's going to be awesome. And we should have speakers. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds fucking great. Let's do that. And I uh, kind of spiraled uh, organically out of control from there in a good way. And uh, Mr. Method actually then almost banned us from the form because they realized we were going to charge for it once there were speakers at it. And they were like, not really cool with that. But we ended up talking to them, like the moderators, they worked it out and it was cool. That year, you know, a year after we put that out, a little announcement to do a meetup group. Uh, we had about 80 people show up in Orlando, Florida from all over the United States, Canada, Europe. Um, I don't think anyone from Australia that year, but everyone kind of showed up and it was an awesome time. And we had just enough money to pay for the room and the audio equipment and a hundred dollars. So I made a hundred dollars for 12 months worth of work. Uh, probably less if you count like gas and like going back and forth with the hotel. Crushing it, man. So brutal, <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Literally, literally pennies per hour for, for work that year. But I tried, you know, I didn't start it as a business. So it's supposed to be like just for me personally, but then a lot of people wanted in on, in on it to attend it, you know, speak at it. Uh, me actually was the first speaker we had that was like legit back then he was famous back then i don't know if you guys know who he is today but back then he was like a huge deal i went on his infield insider product way back in the day nice yeah i remember that 
Um, so yeah, I started this kind of like little hobby business unintentionally, uh, just by wanting to, you know, meet guys who are close to my age, who are at least as good as I was as women or hopefully better. Just like to learn from them, watch what they do, talk to them, uh, provide whatever value I could by, you know, going out and approaching and stuff, which back then was all I really knew how to do. I'd gotten laid once at that point, but wasn't really consistent with it yet. Um, I could start pulling makeouts, but still wasn't like pulling girls home. And yeah, we had the first event and uh, made a hundred bucks and people then started asking like, when's the next one? And I'm like, Oh shit. Uh, next year, same time. Cause I hadn't even considered at that point doing another one. There wasn't any uh, major intent to do that. I expanded the event from there the next year in 08. That was our second year. We had a three day event instead of two days and I invited more speakers, which was a lot easier that year. Cause I had the history of the previous year. And uh, there was actually a funny story. I met Steve Maida and Sin from uh, Mystery Method at that point. And uh, I told, well, Topo, Steve Maida, he didn't really give a shit. He thought it was just some kid asking him some random shit. And he was kind of blowing me off. And I was like, well, Mihao's speaking again. And he spoke last year, too. And Steve's like, oh, Mihao's speaking? I'll speak. <laughs> and uh, like that, Steve jumped on. And then I talked to Sin. And then uh, he was like, oh, Steve and Mihao's speaking. I'll speak. And so it became, uh, in a business sense, very a lot easier to network at that point. And then Adam Lyons ended up calling me at the last minute to speak. Um, and another of our other speakers as well that year, we had we had like uh, maybe 15 that year or something like that. So, yeah, from there we had another event uh, back in 2008. And that event, I did not uh, charge enough. And we did not have enough attendees that year, given the price. So I had my first major uh, financial problem at the event. I mean, it wasn't really major, but given that I was 19, uh, it felt, wait, was I 19? I think it was still 18 then. No, I was 19. I was 19 at that point. You know, I was missing a couple thousand dollars to do the event, so I had to figure out how to actually finish the event and then work out later. Yeah, that's that's significant for an (laughs) 18-year-old. Definitely. Oh, yeah, dude. That was scary as fuck. I had no no credit cards and no money to back it up and nothing. So uh, I just figured out how to pull off the event. And then uh, uh, we weren't even charging for tickets online. Like the first, they charged cash at the door because I had no idea how to set up like an online like PIM processor. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it did the same thing, and that didn't work out that time. And that's where that hiccup came from. Gotcha. And then after that, actually, this is interesting. My best friend died of cancer like six or seven days after that event. So in a span of like uh, you know, seven days, I had gone from like thinking the event was going to do great to nearly blowing it up. And then my best friend died, which he was sick of cancer, but it wasn't clear that he was going to die given how young he was. Uh, most people his age would pull through it, what he had. Uh, well, he had a very specific type, but yeah, it was really, really rough time in my life. Really like a yeah. rock bottom for being that age. Talk about everything kind of hitting at once. Yeah, dude, it was, it was a rough couple months. I mean, you know, looking back on it, I didn't know then, but I was definitely like uh, probably like clinically depressed for like at least three or four months just reading from like that whole experience. And of course, trying to figure out as an entrepreneur at that point, slowly realizing this is a more serious business than I thought, uh, you know, what to do and how to make it out from that. Um, one of the things we did too, is we tried charging for the footage that year instead of giving away for free, like the previous year. And that did not work, believe it or not. So a few months after that, we, uh, as you know, Rob, the original intent was the free footage from the, you know, putting it up for free somehow. Mm-hmm. So I actually reversed that decision a few months after we launched it. And that did a lot better response to that really well. 
which in turn empowered the third convention in 2009 to have like a huge number of attendees. Uh, guys that year paid at a good price too, and they had a good profit, paid off all the debt uh, from the previous event, and things got a lot better. That story continues on now from those seven years after that. Those are the first uh, kind of couple years of the event. And I would say too that one of the, it was a turning point with the you know, paid footage versus free. I realized that what made the remarkable, one of the things the first year was that the footage was going to be free rather than your very typical uh, kind of paid content, which is uh, similar in a way to like TED, so TED Talks and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep going from there, but uh, that's kind of the first couple years of the event and the uh, first major hurdle we had with like finances and stuff. Yeah, talk about how you eventually monetized it and kind of how you, how, just how you survived. Um you know, because yeah. it's tough. You're running a startup, right? You're, you're breaking even yeah. or losing a couple bucks on each event, and obviously, there, you know, people are coming and they love it, and and you're getting a lot of good feedback on the on the product, right? Which are the videos. Yep. But it's so hard as an entrepreneur to like keep going when you're just not seeing yep. the money. So how'd you deal with that? Yeah. Well, actually, I had, there was a second business I had back then that most people don't know about. So when the under one convention started. There was actually another company I started along with it that was very small. It was under 21 Lifestyle. And that was a small coaching company I ran uh, along with some of my roommates at the time at Project Orlando, who included uh, Ratisse, who you might have heard of a couple of times. Yeah. You ever mm-hmm. met Ratisse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a crazy, crazy motherfucker. Totally. Uh, living with him for eight months, I watched him bang. Not literally, but like he was in the room across the hall. He fucked like 80 women or something. Uh, threesomes, like you know, hot girls, ugly girls, like he was an animal, you know, was beast mode, total animal. Yeah, he's a fucking animal, <laughs> fucking animal, dude. And so he was one of the guys that actually helped me coach a little bit. And then my other roommate, who was a moderator for the layer at the time, was pretty good. I still talk to him to this day too. So under twenty one lifestyle was a small coaching company I ran, and between that, I loved my job at that point. I had a part time job with like, Sears selling TVs. Uh, but under 21 Lifestyle, uh, along with some odd jobs around there in Orlando, uh, they allowed me to get by. Uh, my parents were still supporting me, too, at that point, a little bit. They paid, like, some of the rent. Um, I think it was about at that point. They didn't pay anything else. But that, was, that made it a little bit easier to college. But, you know, uh, car bills, phone bills, other bills were on me at that point. And the coaching company, though, yeah, it helped. It wasn't, like, uh, didn't do a lot of business, but I had probably a dozen clients. And they would pay me five, six hundred bucks for a weekend and uh, take them out and got a hundred percent awesome reviews. Uh, people loved it. They really had a good time. And it was pretty much just like an approach coach kind of thing. Like it wasn't like, I wasn't promising like, Hey, I'm going to get you to be like a rock star. I was like, Hey, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to teach you how to approach, how to get make ads, how to get numbers, uh, and how to, you know, be confident around women in a very basic way. And they understood that going in and they all had a really good time. And the convention, uh, 07 and 08, helped empower that. Uh, so in a sense, I was kind of competing with the speakers for like coaching stuff. Um, and then in 09, I cut that out because I realized the convention could do a lot better. The ticket sales that year made a couple thousand dollars in profit, which is good. And I realized that if I wanted to take the... Well, I realized that the convention was a lot more impressive and remarkable than the coaching was. The coaching, like... I wasn't that amazing at it. I knew the speakers were better than I was by a long shot. And I knew that they would appreciate if I wasn't competing with them for clients, both at the convention and then later online. I don't want to be a competitor with them. 
a competitor with them. I wanted to be like a leader and a visionary and do my own thing that was unique that wasn't directly uh, you know, otherwise involved with them, except to get their content out, promote what they do and all that. So with monetizing at that point, they were still doing downloads. I think we started doing downloads at that point. It's been so long. Um, so we started offering downloads of the videos like early, and that helped monetize it. And so basically, you know, I say downloads, this is like a slow transition of figuring out how to actually monetize the content other than hoping it just generates ticket sales by being viral, which is kind of like the, you know, 08, 09 uh, version of that. So we started doing downloads, eventually DVDs, uh, which is laughable now, but back then they did pretty well. <laughs> uh, DVDs from 2010 in particular made a lot of money. Uh, we had a, like a we had a particular like a health and fitness set from the health and fitness guys that year that like just killed it. Um, but eventually, what really stuck out was we transitioned fully onto YouTube in like late 2010. Um, you know, a couple years later than we should have because we'd only be using at that point for like previews and trailers and stuff like that. Oh, you didn't but have the, the content. I didn't realize you didn't have the uh, the speeches on YouTube until 2010. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. We we could have parts, right? Which uh, I didn't like at the time. And so we could upload the full videos. Not really, that was like a pet peeve of mine because there was a limit then on video length of like 11 minutes or something. Gotcha. So I was like, well, do we put them out there in parts or do I put out the full version somewhere else? And up to that point, I was using this website and I used Vimeo to host the videos, which could host long videos. Um, so now they were not on YouTube and that was a mistake. That definitely, our channel is great now, but it would be, you know, 50,000 subscribers ahead of where it would be right, where it is right now, had we bumped to YouTube two or three years earlier. Yeah. So that was uh, definitely not a good idea. See, in 2010, we transitioned to YouTube, and that allowed us to start uh, pretty quickly, because the channel already existed at that point, and I'd maintained it, like all the features. It's like verify and like enable this back then and all that. So when I started uploading the videos full length, uh, we started transitioning the website to host or embed the YouTube videos that way. And then that helped them get a lot of views because the website had a lot of traffic back then, much more so than it does now because YouTube is where we live now. But that started generating ad revenue and that built up pretty quick. At first it was like 50 bucks on the month and I was like, cool, free money. Yeah. And then it was like a hundred bucks and then it was like $300 and it was like $600 and it escalated very quickly. And I was like, holy shit, this is like meaningful money. Yeah, fuck. Uh, so that was really cool. That was cool to see, and uh, yeah, it was. That was the beginning of like how we really monetized the content. Even to this day, that's like one of the pillars. Uh, on top of Twenty One University, which is our paid service, which is kind of like Netflix, uh, like a little miniature one for our guys. And so it's it's you it's uh, YouTube ad revenue. Yeah, YouTube ad revenue. We've taken it with other stuff. Like they have like pay channels on there, but that doesn't really do anything. Right. We get some tips on YouTube that they have, but we've gotten maybe like two hundred dollars or something off tips in the past like two years. So it's nothing really special. Yeah, the one thing I've heard is that if I think if you get for every hundred thousand views or every million views, you get a thousand bucks just from YouTube. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's correct or not. And then I guess what you're saying is all the other companies who want to advertise those little videos you know, that come on every 10 minutes or the ones in between, you're making cash off all those too, right? Uh, well, yeah, any ad that plays on your video. In fact, any ad that's around your video. So it can be on the sidebar, it can be on the video, it can be a pop-up. 
uh, we do something special. We actually disable all the pop-up ads on our videos because they're really annoying and they take up a lot of space and they make like no money. No idea why YouTube has them. Like they suck so much dick. <laughs> but we'll make, we'll make most of the money on YouTube is actually uh, in video ads. So ads like video ads that play on your video and especially the ones that are skippable. So when people don't skip those uh, after like 15 seconds, the creator gets paid. We would get paid in that case. Uh, so if you're ever watching content or anyone else's and you want to support the channel, you know, take a look at the ad for like 16, 17 seconds before you skip it or longer if you like it or something. Okay. Um, so with the money though, that, that goes up and down actually. That uh, is not, you can try to like, you know, simplify it down to that, but that's across like a lot of channels. And honestly, dude, it can vary like so widely. It can vary by, you know, the month it is, uh, by the year. Like some years are a lot better than others on YouTube. Um, in particular, can change dramatically. Uh, for example, December is usually the highest month by a long shot. It blows away everything else. And then January tanks. I think this has a lot to do with its ad rates for like the holidays and stuff. So October, November, December, it's ramping up in the holidays. And then the ad rates just plummet uh, in January. And they pick up a little bit in February and stuff. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, but ad revenue in general, I think, is getting a lot more competitive uh, with Facebook and Twitter and social media uh, competing with YouTube now. Whereas back in like 2011 and 2012, there wasn't quite much competition. So a lot of channels now you see moving to like Patreon, uh, like a subscription or a. It's like a donation, but it's on purpose, right? To support the channel, uh, to support a creator. And that's a monthly or like for, for the content. So that's really helpful too. And we haven't done Patreon yet. We just did an Indiegogo campaign and that was cool. A uh, crowdfunding campaign. But also in 2015, we launched 21 University, which is basically like a small Netflix we built for our own company and for our own content. And sometimes we have some other people's content in it. Like Sasha will loan us a video. I will loan him a video for like a couple months. So we like trade content and stuff like that. But overall, it's this awesome little service. It's like 15 bucks a month. Soon it's going to be 20. So you can sign up. If you haven't signed up yet for it, you'll lock in the old price. And yeah, we've had about a thousand people sign up for that since we started it uh, a little bit over a year ago. Definitely want to advertise it. But that's with zero advertising too. Um, paid advertising. We haven't done any yet. And that's been a really cool little service that's really helped the company a lot. Uh, get direct access to the customers and get a really good financial relationship going with them. You know, they get awesome content from there. They get no ads, no, none of the YouTube ads that are loaded up on our videos. And they get early access to all the content by months. So your talk, Robbie, from Miami will get probably like four or five months before it comes out on YouTube. Oh, sweet. They, they can get it, you know, and all that. Yeah, so it's just early. And that way it doesn't affect you, the speakers either, because one of the challenges with the business is always like, how do I monetize the content without screwing over the speakers who depend on the content going viral to support their company and their business efforts and stuff like that. So 21U putting the videos there early about a few months, it really helps. And then in the meantime, we can promote you anyway with previews. We take out like a five minute segment from your talk where you're just fucking tearing it up, right? About some specific topic. And then we promote that. And then that promotes you with your website on it and stuff. And then it promotes 21U because it's like, look, you can get the full video right now on 21U. And then people on YouTube go set up for that. I remember uh, the preview for my last talk. It was great. I was like, whoa, this looks, <laughs> they made me look a lot better than the talk probably was. But <laughs> Well, that's the one thing that's great about it too is the production quality, you know, is, is really awesome. And um, uh, what's his name? Mike. Yeah. Mike's fucking great. The, the uh, 
you know, your video guy. I don't know if he's still working with you, but he was always yep. awesome. Oh yeah. Yep. He's done almost all of our hunts. Oh yeah, I know. He's he's been there forever. Um but the cool thing that I keep hearing over and over is how you were able to, you know, both complement versus compete. Um and just find yeah. a whole bunch of win wins. Um, you know, in, yep. in a potential area where there, there was a lot of conflicts, you know, um, you're using other people's content, but they're also, you know, hyping you. And there's, there's so many ways where, you know, you could have stepped on people's toes, but just like as a testament to your belief system, you're just a fucking awesome human. Um, you always found a way to like help the other guy and give value. And then that value obviously just comes right back. So that's what I keep hearing throughout. And it's, it's interesting to watch that play out in business. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the win-wins I've really taken a focus to, uh, develop very personal and very close relationships like with you and the other speakers, well, the speakers specifically though, uh, over the years. And I do my best to maintain those and not just for the business, but like fundamentally, like, you know, where's this person at? How are they doing? What's going on in their life? Today I just reached out to uh, Adam Lyons actually. I haven't talked to him in probably like a year and a half. Um, he's had a lot going on in his life too. So I reached out to him. We were emailing back and forth today. And I just do that periodically with speakers, whether or not they're speaking at an upcoming event. Um, I, do, I built a face group, uh, Facebook group uh, as well now for you guys on uh, for alumni speakers, just so it's a little bit easier to keep in touch with everybody and for you guys to connect with each other, I think, in the future. That'll happen a lot. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I've, I've been able to... So I've been able to connect with so many of the speakers and I've had a few of them on this podcast and, you know, doing stuff together. I've done a lot of cool stuff with Steve. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's such a great network. So it's been, you know, super value to me. And then I remember, I think I was speaking at the 2010 pickup artist summit that Vince Kelvin was running in LA. Yeah. So we met, right? Yeah. I, think I met you there and Bravo and James. Yeah, and that's actually when I met James, too. We had a booth in the back, and our booth was next to him. Oh, like, God. Who's this uh, swashbuckling <laughs> Australian bloke with all the hot girls around him? <laughs> and um, nice. talked to him. He was super down-to-earth. And one thing that immediately stood out was, like, here was a guy who brought a hot girl to a, a pickup event. And I was like, well, clearly, he has hot girls in his life, and he can also talk about it openly. Whereas there's so many of these other guys and other speakers and just weird dudes at this PUA summit that like didn't want people to know they were there or they're using alter egos or, you know, they're just shady as fuck. Um, and I remember yep. seeing yep. a few, a few videos from the 21 convention and then just seeing the marketing of how it, you know, it wasn't a pickup event. It was, you know, you had dating coaches there and you had guys that were teaching seduction. Um, but it also yep. had the health and fitness aspect to it. Um, all of the, you know, individual stuff and business stuff. And I was like, well, finally an event that like fits kind of, you know, how I look at this business and how I, you know, see that it's the big picture. It's not about pickup or, you know, seduction. It's about just being an awesome dude. And I'm like, finally, there's an event that goes along with, you know, how I think. And I'm like, fuck, I got to meet this Anthony guy. I hope he likes me. And I got to convince him to let me speak at his event. <laughs> Nice. Somehow that, that that worked out. I was able to, you know, use my pickup skills on you, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. We met in the back. I guess. Well, dude, Vince. I wasn't even supposed to, supposed to speak about that, and Vince just like threw me on stage all of a sudden. 
I thought it was this hang- like I just decided to come out and check it out because he had just spoken to my event. I was like, yeah, I'll come check out your event. <laughs> and then he like threw me on stage. I think I thought James Marshall spotted me. He was like, who the fuck is this guy? Why is he on stage? That's a typical Vince thing to do, right? It was just so unexpected. I didn't have anything prepared. And I was like, what do you want me to talk about? Like, what? Well, I was stoked because I had no idea you were going to be there. And I had seen your stuff. Oh, that's how you saw me. Yeah, I think it was that. <laughs> or maybe you were talking. It might have been James introduced you to to me or something. But um, I remember after we had that conversation, I was like, fuck, if, if I don't get anything else out of the stupid pickup summit, because I figured I'd you know maybe get one <laughs> client out of the deal who would like cancel the next day because I didn't teach him how to you know, f- fuck a girl in an alley within five minutes. Um, I, feel, I was like, well, hopefully I'm able to, you know, speak at the 21 convention because that'd be sick. So that worked out. So that was great. Yeah. No, yeah, I think I saw you talk. I think I saw your speech there and I specifically wanted to talk to you because you seem not weird. Normal. You seem like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, normal. normal. And dude, like you, dude, you and Bravo and James were the three guys who were like normal and not fucking weird. So and weird. So that was like, wow. So these people are coaches, but not fucking weird. That's <laughs> excellent combination. Right. So I was, I was going to say uh, something I was thinking about a minute ago. You mentioned Michael Gottino, our video, uh, videographer and director of the events, like the film. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I've been a total Nazi with film quality since the beginning. Um, even though seven, but then especially when I hired Gottino in 08, the second year. And yeah, that's been a big part of it. I think what's helped the business uh, stay evergreen uh, in terms of the content. So even our older content really holds up today in a lot of really good ways because they paid so much attention and invested so heavily into the video quality and audio quality, which is still not, you know, where I want it to be at. It can get so much better, but I was the absolute best I can with that. Cause I know that, you know, years down the road, a lot of these videos will still be watched heavily. Uh, even your talks are viewed from years ago, still watched every single day. I can't tell you how many guys, who, you know, eventually find their way to my site or eventually come a client. They're like, yeah, I think I saw you in a 21 convention video way back in the day. And my favorite talk that, that I've given was the one in Austin. Um, I was fresh off a three-month uh, trip around Europe, totally single. I'd lost a bunch of weight, and I was just, like, crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, just probably, having, an am- on fire, dude. having an amazing time. And then... I didn't know what the fuck I was going to talk about. I had like all this bullshit planned for my speech. Like, oh, I'm going to do this and this. And then like five minutes before the, the speech, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to wipe that whole thing and just talk about what I did in Europe Damn. and just highlight a few key things. And it was so like, there's, there's such a, I've done so many like platforms speaking and platform sales coaching and, you know, attended different events. And I love speaking because it makes me nervous. It makes me excited you know, it's awesome just getting up there on stage and it's such a great experience for like growing as a person. So, and there's always that, you know, you're pulled between, do I want to really like think my speech through and like, you know, map something out and script it out versus just totally wing it. Yep. Um, and this time winging it definitely paid off. Uh, earlier in the summer when I spoke in London, I, I like mapped it out and, you know, it just, I think the information was okay. A lot of guys tell me they like that one too, but I just didn't feel great about it. Like leaving the stage, I was like, ah, I didn't, you know, yeah. that kind of sucked. But, but anyways, that's, it's, it's no, always, definitely, yeah. there's, there's merit to going both ways. Like I was talking to James Marshall the other day about this. Uh, I was like, look, man, I, I need to be fucking honest with you, James. Like the best talk you have ever given at the convention and you've given some great ones. The best one was your first one where you rolled up to London 2011 and you didn't have a fucking clue what you're going to talk about other than like three like points that he mm-hmm. wanted to make. 
And he gave that talk. And that talk actually not only is this like most of you talk of all time, but it also like turned his entire business around. It was such a heavy hitter uh, in terms of views and then investment from the viewers who then went over to, to his website. So it was actually a really interesting conversation. And I can totally see what you're saying, just like rolling up and, uh, you know, winging it like that. It often works, man, with the passion behind the heat. Yeah, we know, you know, you can speak from the heart and the same thing goes for, you know, having interactions with people, you know, it's like, I always say like going and talking to a woman is just like going up on stage, right? You got to connect with the audience, you got to connect with her, Um, you know, and if you're too in your head, then it's going to suck. And if you have no fucking idea what you're doing, then you're just going to sound stupid, but (laughs) you got to find that, that line. So it's always a great, uh, you know, I always get like really like pumped up when I, when I know a speech is coming up. So excited for October. I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to talk about, but <laughs> it'll be something. I'm sure you figure it out, man. <laughs> it'll be something. I wanted to um, shift gears a little. One thing we like never, ever talk about on this podcast um, is divorce. And I know you okay. recently went through that. Um, and, you yeah. know, you've, you've had some amazing stuff to share about that. Hopefully it's not a downer to talk about it. No, no, no. It's fun. It's a lot of fun, actually, sometimes. Yeah, if you could just share your experience or, you know, the, the biggest takeaways, maybe the guys will have some questions too, but it's like, I was excited to ask you about it because it's just a topic that no one really covers and it's so important. I also, uh, I posted this on the alumni group uh, the other day. So I didn't even know it then when I posted it, but also, so I got divorced like seven months ago and then, you know, eventually I got back into dating, met some woman off Tinder and okay, Cupid and fuck them. But then... I've now discovered that I've been fucking on and off Reddit's number one porn star of all time. No way. <laughs> but I just kind of blew it off. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like my company's at the front page of Reddit too. But my general manager of the 21 convention, my employee, he was looking, he found it in the post and he's, he's like, dude, this is not just, this isn't just her hitting the front page. This is the number one erotic post of all time on Reddit. So I'm like, holy fuck. Uh, and I'm not used to fucking porn stars. Like, I think you have Robbie a couple times, but for me, it was like, it's been like, it was a very interesting experience. And to be a divorce guy doing that so soon, it's just like, this is like comical. Like, this is like, you gotta like write a TV show about this. Dude, I remember the first porn star. I think I've banged two, um, but my favorite, and she's still a friend of mine, um, and she's as hot as fuck, cool as fuck. I actually met her in the uh, swingers community. Um, Ariana Marie, if anyone wants to go and Google that and jerk off to her, but she's awesome. She's an awesome person. Uh, but yeah, it was like, when you're, when you're fucking a porn star, you're kind of like, wait, this is, this is a porn star, right? And for a second, you're like, how many guys have yeah. fucked her? Like, but, but then at the same time, you're like, this is so cool. Cause like, I'm the fucking man. Cause I'm fucking a porn star and I'm not well, a porn dude, star. This girl, this girl told me, so she gave me full disclosure before we hooked up and I believed her, but I assumed that she was like exaggerating. Right. I was like, yeah, she probably, she probably was like a cam model or something. And then stopped find out later that no she was dead serious she's like a-list porn star she's like james dean like all these different uh people out in la so uh yeah it's it's an it's an interesting experience being a porn star because yeah you're like how many dudes have fucked this girl like you're competing with like you know guys who are like really good at fucking <laughs> uh and obviously you know this girl's fuck guys that are like you know literally hung like horses oh yeah so uh it's it's a fucking hell of an experience she's really good in bed though like 100 percent uh, definitely I'd say the best I ever had, you know, it, and it's cool though. Cause they, 
and, and I have some guys that are that are in the group that are we call them like I think recently they've all been banging these porn stars out in Palm Springs and they're <laughs> <laughs> but the the girls don't know the girls don't know that the guys know that they're porn stars. So there's always okay. this funny uh, you know tension going on. Um, but the cool thing is just just to, to chime in. Um, it's so much more about connection than it is about fucking dick size and and your moves and all that stuff. That you know what a porn star on the job versus like actually enjoying like being with you. It's got to be yep. such a different experience. No, yeah, she definitely is different uh, off camera than on camera. Like that's one of the things someone I posted this on Steve's group, Steve Maida on Facebook, and the guy's like, "What are some of the differences?" And I'm like, "Well, when she fucks, as far as I know, I fucked her four times now. Uh, she fucks way different, you know, in private than on camera. Because on camera, she's basically it's performance, uh, almost like an athlete or an actress or something. So uh, yeah, I mean, when she fucks, she, you know, on camera, she's like super hardcore, but when I fuck her, she's like super, super." sweet like the sweetest like uh super gentle kind of thing she definitely knows what she's doing and like you know uh get into the kind of position she wants and is responsive and all that but it's definitely very very sweet like very submissive and feminine yeah and more intimate it sounds like where she's just yeah very intimate like it's like uh surreal uh really really awesome too experience yeah, well, and this is, it's funny, it makes me think of, um, I had an experience not too long ago where um, I was hooking up with this girl, and it was in, like, an orgy situation, and okay. I've gotten this feedback before, but it didn't really dawn on me until then, where the girl made a comment about, like, how intimate I was, and I could tell it was, like, okay. scaring her a little bit, right, because she didn't expect to go, like, you know, it creates a really deep connection really fast when you're when you're actually like allowing yourself to feel that intimacy versus just like robotic fucking. Um, and I think so many guys get caught up like the first time they're fucking a girl or the first few times they are so worried about performance. They forget to just kind of like enjoy the moment and just like, you know, just fucking enjoy it versus worrying about, you know, their performance. And, uh, it's crazy yeah. the impact you'll have on women. You won't think it'll be much of a, a difference, but it'll completely change to the point where like this girl was like, whoa, like this is like, I'm getting a little scared because like, I don't want to fall in love with you. We're just, we're fucking in an orgy right now. And I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Holy shit, dude. Oh. <laughs> Stories of Robbie Kramer. That's, so, dude. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. Um, God, I had a thing I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I was saying that. Yeah, you're you're right. A lot of pickup guys in particular, they're so focused on the pickup. They're thinking about like fucking her again. Like, what do I need to do to make sure she comes back to fuck me, rather than focusing on you know what's going on right then and there. Right. And thinking about just that, and not like future projecting. Like, I want to keep fucking her forever. Oh. Uh, just focus and have a really good time. Women love, as far as I know, uh, my experience. I love seeing you have a good time. Uh, is a big priority for them. So. Totally. Yeah, I think guys too that focus on they focus on mechanics too much of sex rather than like that intimacy and that experience and like totally just doing what they want to do. But to focus on like how can I like perform for her and impress her rather than like you probably know about more about this than I do, but yeah, that's been that's been my broad experience observing the pickup community for eleven years now almost. Yeah, or you get too focused on just making her get off. And here's the thing, if a girl wants to get off, right? She'll grab her fucking vibrator and she'll get in the bathtub and she'll get herself off or she'll use the nozzle of the shower. Girls can get themselves off. They, they can have orgasms. 
the reason why a lot of the time they don't have orgasms during sex is they just don't feel comfortable because the guy's too obsessed with giving them an orgasm. And, but women can enjoy sex a lot without orgasming. In fact, if she was worried about just yep. getting an orgasm, she wouldn't bother fucking in the first place because she knows most of the time with a new guy, yep. she's not going to have one. And what allows her to have that is if you as a guy can just like enjoy the moment, chill, take all the pressure off. And she just loves feeling like she's being enjoyed. And eventually that'll yep. probably end up getting her off. But anyways, to Women love getting used. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But so you were mentioned, you were mentioning that, um, you know, before your divorce, now you're fucking this porn star. How did, how let's circle back to, to there. Yeah, so I was, uh, you, you met my uh, ex-wife now a number of times. You met her back in 2012 in London. Yeah. You met her in 2012. So I met her, I actually met her like only a month after the 2011 convention. Um, so you met her a, few, no, a number of times. I only had good things to say about her. She was always really cool and funny and, and open and she oh, yeah. was supportive of you. Um, hot. Yeah. 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 Yeah, had a good time. It was a good time fucking her. I had to be, I figured she had to be a little crazy. She's a crazy redhead, right? Huge tits. Everyone, um, I mean, well, yeah. everyone's crazy, number one. And then redheads in particular get an extra point automatically, <laughs> um, you know, and all that. I mean, what is this, the South Park saying? They don't have a soul. Right. <laughs> Soulless ginger. Gingers. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, that was, your, your, your impression of her is almost identical to all the speakers. Like, very few speakers had any reservations about her at all. Other than obviously like, okay, she's hot, she has large breasts, but everything else, you know, seems to be in check here. She's not like, you weren't looking at her being like, well, either she's faithful to Anthony or she's been an escort for 15 years behind his back. It wasn't like one or the other. It's like, <laughs> holy fuck. No, that thought never crossed my yeah, mind. As far, as far as I know, you know, no, exactly. Like, uh, Adam Lyons today said he was wondering if he was like a stripper or something in her past, but no one was like, well... When she's done, when she's done interviewing with speakers at the convention, she's out like escorting right after that. So we dated for two years. We were engaged for half, uh, half a year, six months, and then we're married for just over two years. And then that ended on February 21st, uh, 2016. I did a whole speech on this. It's coming out really soon on YouTube. It's been on 21 U, of course, for a couple months, 21university.com. But it'll be on YouTube soon, ad supported and all that. And uh, I think it's the best talk I've ever given. Um, it was the only speech at the convention in Orlando recently to get a standing ovation, uh, instantly full room. People went like nuts. And, uh, I think part of it, it was kind of the, the, you'll, you'll recognize this a lot probably. I think I appreciate it a lot. The speech was really long, but it was very well organized. And on top of that, there was a lot of passion into it, obviously, given the, the extent of what happened. So it was kind of the best of both. It was both organized plus like intense and like emotional and passionate. And uh, kind of rapid fire through it for almost two hours. And yeah, it detailed the experience of being with this woman for four and a half years. So at the very end, uh, I found out has been cheating continuously for 21 years now on every single boyfriend she has ever had uh, by her own confession, as well as uh, one of the guys I talked to. He had an identical experience as me. And she's been escorting for about 15 years. So since I was like in elementary school, almost, I was just at elementary school when she started escorting, uh, basically. So yeah, that was a hell of an experience. And as weird as that shit is, that eventually led me through some of the speakers, Socrates and Steve and a few others. It led me to start studying personality disorders. Cause I was like, how the fuck 
does a person like this get surrounded by dating coaches who deal with shit like this all the time anyway with your clients mm-hmm. and no one spotted this? Like, what the fuck? That's right. weird. Uh, you know, it's one thing for me to get fooled. All right. But, you know, 50 other speakers she met, half of, you know, a bunch of which have like PhDs and all these different degrees and shit. Even Dr. McGuff is someone who studied, uh, you know, personality disorders as a doctor mm-hmm. and has spoken about it briefly at the convention. So anyway, this led me to eventually, over the course of months, discover that she is close to be positive. And I think, as far as I can tell, is a ASPD psychopath. So that's antisocial personality disorder. And then psychopathy is the specific uh, subcomponent of it. Meaning that she crosses a threshold into, like, really creepy, like, Hannibal Lecter territory. Cool. Obviously, she's not, as far as I know, killing people. But she does a lot of really crazy shit, which is why it was so hard to see. Yeah. It can be so hard to spot, you know, especially like narcissistic personality disorder. Those people are so charming oh, yeah. and they're so amazing. They're like, well, anybody use cluster B. So cluster B is, uh, antisocial, narcissistic person, uh, bipolar, not bipolar borderline and then histrionic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's fluctuating in and out on all of these, but ASPD seems to be the primary one. But anyone with the with the cluster B disorder, the dramatic ones like narcissism, uh, yeah, they're really uh, they're called the dramatic disorders, and the result is like very attractive, seductive behavior. They're very charming, charismatic. Uh, they're very cunning. They're definitely intelligent, usually, especially if they are intelligent. It's even worse, right? Because if they're not stupid, now they can like get away with the shit a lot better. And yeah, the ASPD ones in particular, like their char- key character trait is hiding. And she confessed to me, actually, on one of her last nights together at the house where we lived, uh, that she said, in her own words, I feel like I've been acting for 34 years my entire life. Which I didn't quite understand then, but later I was like, holy shit, she's felt this way since she was like a little kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meaning that uh, psychopaths are always in hiding, always trying to conceal and stay away, hide who they really are. Yeah. So that was a hell of an experience. I basically, in a span of 10 days... Uh, went from thinking my wife, uh, you know, and partner of four and a half years was uh, loyal and monogamous to discovering that, you know, she'd been cheating the whole time, escorting the whole time, uh, escorting for previous 10 years before we met, cheating for none of which I knew. And she always, you know, hid really well, uh, denied outright and all that. So yeah, it was a really brutal uh, 10 days. And uh, later on, figured out all this other shit too. And pieced together a lot of other crazy shit, like she used to hurt animals and kill them and stuff. Jesus. Uh, really, really, really fucked up shit, dude. Including my grandma's cat, man. She fucking killed the damn thing. No way. What the fuck? Yeah, my grandma died, and I, I, I took her cat in, and she killed it. I, I, it took a while to figure this out, man, but I was like, holy fuck. So, yeah. <laughs> you kill a cat. It's, it's, it's always interesting to me, too, to study these people and these personality disorders, because it's like... You, you think back on like who you know or <laughs> you know people who you've had relationships with and you're like holy oh, shit dude well look your guys in leverage are out approaching women all the time right relationship or something oh yeah all the time they should know that one out of a hundred women they approach is statistically is a Hannibal Lecter level Dexter level psychopath <laughs> uh, like isn't just some crazy girl like some daddy issues is a fucking psychopath Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean she's violent necessarily. Psychopaths are going to act out in whatever way they choose or to express themselves. Some are corporate. They go into corporations and steal billions of dollars and crazy shit. Other ones get violent. Other ones do it in relationships. 
they torture and maim and harm people and seduce them in these ways. You know, every hundred women you approach, one of them was a psychopath, hundred percent. And on top of that, um, another 10 or so are close to being psychopaths. So they're not psychopaths, but on the chart, the gold standard, there's a hair checklist. Right. They're scoring pretty high. <laughs> they're uh, almost there. to the point of being considered a psychopath. Well, I was going to say, especially in markets like L.A. or Miami, um, Scottsdale, where you have such a huge emphasis oh, yeah. placed on looks. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're basically just filtering for that. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I hope my talk does for guys is, like, raise awareness of personality disorders and specifically cluster B ones. We're going to be very attractive to uh, young guys going out trying to get better with women. These women, like you said, my wife got, she had naturally large breasts anyway, but then she got fake tits. She got all the plastic surgery, uh, really worked on her appearance and her image. She's a narcissist uh, to the extreme, way above and beyond your average chick who cares a lot about her appearance. Um, and it's histrionic, so, you know, hypersexual. I mean, I fucked my ex-wife uh, literally almost every day for four and a half years. Sasha and his wife were down at the end of the relationship, and we counted one day with them around for Friday line and shit. And we fucked like 1,300 times. Jesus. Uh, so literally just every, every day and do that. So I fucked her 1300 times, right. In four and a half years, we lived together too. So like it made it easy. Yeah. But on top of that, she was escorting the whole time and cheating the whole time. And that's, that's the crazy and thing. Fucking me. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. I mean, fucking every day is just like, that's, that's a, that's a great relationship. That's uh two people that never lost a spark. Yeah. You know, if that goes on for four years. Yep. Um, you know, cause in the beginning of a relationship, it's really hot. You might be fucking like five or six times a day, but to continue that, yeah. you know, especially for both of you, um, you know, what I found in relationships is I'm usually the one to get bored with sex after a few months and I only want to fuck a few times a week. Right. I've, I've also been on wow. the other side of that. Okay. Um, and obviously if you're not getting it, you just want it more, but we're both people want it every single day for four straight years. That's, that's pretty rare. I think. Well, see, it's, it's confusing. She's, as far as I can tell, she has like very legitimate personality disorders. So it's really a huge mess of trying to look back on the relationship and understand how much of the desire was genuine, how much was actually uh, malicious, how much was done to manipulate, uh, to try to convince me to do different things, to goad me along. I mean, it's a huge mess of a, of a relationship looking back on it in terms of doing an autopsy and trying to understand it. Yeah, because there's this huge uh, grenade of, of giant a couple of personality disorders, which to me are you know really clear. They're also I, I confirmed them as well with um, one of my investors who's a medical doctor who focuses on mental health. We met her, and then David Tian as well. I don't know if you know who he is. Have you met him? I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a PhD, one of our PhD speakers, and he is also very familiar with psychopathy. He actually dated a psychopath as well, and then had to go through this whole ordeal of like trying to understand it. And then, fortunately, as a professor, he knew a lot of uh, psychology professors were able to help him evaluate it, figure it out, understand it, and all this. But yeah, it's uh, it's we fucked every day, but it's just like how much was real, how much was her just like fucking around. Like it's just, I mean, dudes, like she was cheating, so there's sloppy seconds. I'm sure. I was joking with Socrates. I'm like, dude, she probably did sloppy thirds. Like, if you're gonna escort, you might as and cheat, you might as well like. <laughs> fuck the husband and cheat and escort in the same day like oh, yeah get, you know get the home run for get sure the home run. especially when you have that personality you, you want to push it you know you want to see what you can do yeah so psychopaths in particular they're usually i think uh they do have sexual desire but 
uh, I think a lot of the sex they have, male or female, is for the purpose of like actual malintent, uh, domination, control, all these things. Uh, so it's really like it's they're just all over the fucking map. Uh, you're trying to understand basically a person who isn't quite crazy, but has a lot of mental health issues. Um, and they used to even call psychopathy, uh, moral insanity is kind of what you're dealing with. And I think that's still, it's not used to it's not called that anymore, but it's a pretty accurate description of how they operate as, uh, as human beings or creatures. I call them creatures. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're not, they're not really, really like humans. Stuff. They're, they're, they're more like some sort of other species, <laughs> but no, uh, totally. Yeah. I talked, did you watch my speech? I don't know if I sent it to you. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I love to see it. Oh, I it have a little slide on that. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'll send it to you. Yeah. I, uh, I talk about that. You know, are they human? And like, you know, clearly they're genetic homo sapiens. Like I'm not arguing that if, even if they're damaged, which psychopathy they, they assume is, but uh, I question if they're philosophically and like morally human. And I don't, I don't really think so. There's all the missing pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, for example, psychopaths is that uh, any cluster B disorder really, but especially psychopathy uh, is impossible to treat with um, therapy, talk therapy. The psychopaths in prison, for example, are hundred percent unresponsive to talk therapy. In fact, it makes them worse. So the violent ones get more violent. Uh, all of them become better liars because you're teaching them basically a psych jargon. Like merrily, you know, at, our, at the conventions this year, or not this year, but over the years she attended, she attended four of them, you know, with you and most of them. Uh, she was basically at the conventions able to pick up all the jargon that you guys use, that self-improvement jargon, psychology, philosophy, all these things. And in turn, by being around that, it made her a better liar and better able to fit in because all she had to do was parrot a lot of what she heard and pass off like she understood a lot what you guys were talking about. Um, there's a lot of crazy shit. The talk is, uh, I think it's going to be, I think I'm going to replace Julian Blanc as the most hated man on the internet. Is, um, <laughs> what I'm planning. Yeah, it's fucking, it's a brutal talk. It's, it's fucking awesome, dude. Well, I really like the, you know, the, the one thing that I found from traveling the world and fucking a lot and having that experience, it, um, and we're having all of those experiences. You see so much, so much truth in the world, right? You see, yeah. You see how women are in the East and in South America versus the U.S. You see how women are even different in L.A. and New York, Chicago versus small town mm-hmm. Kansas versus Miami versus, you know, or- Orlando even. And, and you know, you, you just can't help but notice all the, the patterns. And yeah. there is so much political shit that occurs due to male-female dynamics and, you know, fucking, you know, fucking is everything, right? It's, it's how we move the species along. And so when you really understand fucking yeah. and you understand why people fuck and what drives them to fuck and why people fuck in different places and how that works, you can really learn a shitload about the world we live in. And it's, you know, it, it, it'll scare you. <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah. I, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I had a particularly gnarly experience, but it taught me a lot about what's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a whole area of life, you know, personality disorders that I really didn't understand. I was only vaguely familiar with them, you know, before all this. Right. I really opened my eyes to that. Most people don't, you know, they, they only study it if they come across one, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, knowingly, because you, dude, your guys are approaching every time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've approached 6,000 something women. So I've approached at least uh, and interacted with at least 60 psychopaths. Same here. Uh, female psychopaths <laughs> over the years. Yeah. 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 Now, only one of them that I know of chose to take me on as a target. 
but uh, there's another 59 or so that I've met and I just didn't know it. They mm-hmm. didn't seem like any other person to me and I didn't really know it. So yeah, definitely. I mean, if you guys are listening to this, you know, later and stuff, study personality disorders, especially cluster B, uh, very, very fascinating, very dark stuff, but it will definitely help you protect you over time. Cause if you keep going out, you keep meeting women, uh, it's quite possible you will attract the attention of one and holy fuck is an experience that you would rather avoid. Fuck man. It'll teach you a lot, but yeah, it sounds like you've come out of it. Great. I mean, you sound great. You're the old Anthony that, you know, <laughs> that we all love. Yeah. So, you know, props Thank to you man. for, for getting past it. And I'm sure it's only going to make you stronger. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun now too. Absolutely. One of the benefits too, man, is, uh, you know, before her, I'd hooked, I'd hooked up with a bunch of girls, had fuck buddies and stuff and all that. But by being in a relationship like that, which would have occurred otherwise in a, in a healthier relationship with a person who wasn't, you know, fucked up that much, uh, just by having a lot of sex and all that, um, well, having sex so many times now, well over a thousand times, it's made me a lot more confident uh, in my approach and especially in taking one to bed. Um, I, would, I never had any like major problems with this before the, before her. But after her now, like when I get a girl in bed, it's just like I'm way, way more confident. Um, I'm still not some fucking Zen master with it. Uh, not even close, but I feel way more internally confident with it. Um, cause I've been through that experience so many times. This of being in a relationship where there was a ton of sex and that I just found, I found that really, really cool. For sure. Anything you can, uh, you know, the more reps you put in, the more experience you have, especially with someone who is obviously very experienced like her, right? You're, <laughs> you're getting, oh, dude. Yeah. You're getting a major league experience there if you want to look at the silver lining, yep. right? <laughs> yep. She, dude, she's second only to the porn star. I mean, it literally took a fucking professional porn star to outdo her. So. She's a seductive chick, man. Seductive and, yeah, she's a pro. I mean, she's an escort. Like, yeah. She's fucked. I don't know how many guys so, like, well. Justin knows what she's doing. She's good. Think, dude, she, she's also she was she was a massage therapist, right, for like eight years. I'm, I remember recognizing, like, dude, probably like the third or fourth night we fucked way back in 2011. I was like, this girl's really good with her hands, and I was like, oh, it must be because she's a massage therapist. No, it's because she's a fucking she's been a hooker for 11 years. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure she yeah. used the uh, massage therapy as as you know, a, a marketing platform for, Oh dude. Yeah. Dude, she got caught in 20, <laughs> she got caught in 2012, but Ritz Carlton where she worked, uh, that's how she see those, uh, those forms for the Marriott hotels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ritz Carlton. Yeah. And dude, she got caught on camera. Uh, I think that's what Stock said anyway, cause she got fired all of a sudden from Ritz Carlton made no sense. They kept trying to promote her and stuff to become a manager and all this stuff. All of a sudden one day I come back from Austin, Texas. I was helping out a paleo convention I come back and she got fired in 24 hours and I didn't understand it then, but I told sock and socks like, dude, yeah, they catch uh, massage therapists all the times at these high end hotels. And when they do, they get it on camera. They walk them in, they show them the jail, and they're like, look, fuck off. And if you lawyer up, we're going to prosecute. You're going to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah there's a whole, dude, there's so much shit in that relationship. Holy fuck. Well, it just goes to yeah, show. It goes on and on. I mean, I've dated strippers before. Any stripper is a hooker. And be careful because mm-hmm. a lot of massage therapists oh, yeah. are also hookers. So, yep. red flag. Yep. Yeah, massage therapists are universally almost crazy. 
I've dated a few, and they are great with their hands. They're great in bed. They know how. Uh, <laughs> yep. They got that touch know, thing down. They know what to do. <laughs> well, awesome. I, before we open up to questions, um, I want to uh, ask you. So, how can guys sign up for the twenty one convention? Um, anything else? Do you want to promote or talk about? I know the convention is coming up. I think four of the guys yep. in leverage are coming so far. Um, maybe yep. a, a couple yep. more will will join us down there. I'm doing a special thing. Um, with the guys in my group where if, if you're in the leverage program and you come to the event, we're going to do some stuff on, you know, we're going to go out a couple of the nights. It's awesome that you already have some of that planned. Um, Cause nice. that are just more opportunities for, for the guys. And also we're going to do some, you know, individualized coaching um, as a small group. And uh, you know, I just wanted to make it like extra special for the guys that are in my group to come. And, Oh yeah. And I, and I also, told them all Dude, like no, don't just come for that the speeches are fucking incredible um and yeah. uh you know any like i'm always sad when i have to miss a speech for whatever reason and it's usually the speech like i needed to hear most so when i'll go back to youtube and i'm like fuck i wish i would have listened to that three months ago when i was there but go ahead and tell us uh tell us where we can find all that stuff absolutely man so you guys who want to get tickets they can go to a website that's really easy to remember and type in it's the 21 convention.org. So the 21 convention.org. And when they go there, they can save an extra few hundred dollars. Uh, I think with you, it's like 300 mm-hmm. out of this code. So all they got to do when they check out, uh, once they get a ticket is use the coupon code IC 50. So interconfidence 50, basically IC 50. And that'll save them a lot of money in their ticket. And then they can come out to the event, get a great ticket price, hang out with you, all the other speakers, see the entire four-day event, uh, marathon kind of event there. It's actually all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Speeches, Q&A panels, going out by, uh, dinners, all kinds of awesome stuff. It is by far, I think, um, I think you'd agree too, Robbie, it's like the best men's conference on the face of the planet. Totally agree. Dedicated my entire, adult, my entire adult life to, uh, to making that, uh, making that what it is. Well, you've succeeded thus far, my friend. So, <laughs> thanks, man. You, you've been a part of it. You've been a big part of it, man, as speaker and as times uh, as well. Thank you. Yeah. You guys can also check out twenty one university dot com. The first month is free, just like Netflix, and you can always check out our speeches there, as well as on YouTube at youtube dot com slash twenty one, uh, just two one. And the Robbie speeches are there, as well as literally another thirteen hundred videos. Awesome. Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. If if anyone's interested in any sort of <laughs> anything regarding men and you're interested in personal growth, you'd have to be crazy to not attend one of these events or at least, you know, watch the yep. videos online. It's definitely worth it to attend every penny and more so. But there's just so much yep. awesome shit where after a speech you watch and you're like, wait, why haven't I not been doing that? Like life hacks, there's ways to improve. It's amazing. I think the events, uh, the guys, any of the guys who attend, like the four guys from your group are already signed up, but any more who sign up too, uh, you'll find landmark in your life, like a, like a goalpost almost that you'll never forget. So you'll go there. You're going to think you're having a good time, but you think you'll have a good time going in. But by the time you leave, you're just going to, your head's going to be spinning like, holy fucking shit. This is awesome. So definitely come down to Miami if you guys don't have a ticket, uh, as of yet. Do it guys. I'll be there and I'll, I'll be hassling them to to come so who's got questions hey um okay this is a two-parter about your um ex your relationship with your ex-wife 
So part one is, did you ever make any explicit agreement with her sexually? And part oh, two yeah. is, um, did you ever like, didn't you ever suspect that she was doing something funny? Yeah. So, uh, the first part of the question was the explicit agreement. And yeah, we did that immediately, uh, way back in 2011. Uh, my policy, and this is the supposedly mutual one, was uh, zero tolerance. So if you ever hit me even once, ever cheated on me even once, there's absolutely no forgiveness. I would never talk to you again. Um, so this was clear as day. It was uh, discussed at a few, a few different points about the relationship again. Uh, probably once a year or so, this would come up, we'd talk about this. And especially, of course, once I got married and leading up to that. So it was very clear. I never made, all right, I never made it clear she couldn't escort. I just assumed that no cheating would also mean no prostitution. See, there was never any forbidding her to escort, but I say it as a joke. It's like, usually that kind of comes along the territory of no cheating, things like that. <laughs> In terms of suspicion, no. Um, there was a, well, there was, a, there was two points where I stopped her. Uh, when something was, either she was cheating or escorting, and I honestly don't know, I don't know which. Uh, cheating is actually a very convenient cover for escorting, which is why none of her exes knew she was an escort that I've talked to. Some, a few of them knew about the cheating, uh, that she, you know, she cheated on them a lot, but the escorting, no. And it makes sense because cheating is a very good cover for us. It's just one or the other, right? Or for everybody's going to think it's just cheating. Uh, so there was two points where I stopped her where something was kind of up. She sat down and she made, she spent like 20, 30 minutes us going through this, uh, just talking it out. I'm like, Hey, so what the fuck's up? Like, this is really, you know, suspicious, sketchy behavior. And she was able to counter anything I could come up with, any kind of uh, concern, because she was already practiced at that point. She's uh, seven years older than me. So by the time she's been cheating since I was in second grade, as uh, when she started. So I was all of uh, seven years old when she started cheating. So by the time I met her, when she was 30, she'd already had 16 years experience cheating on, according to her, every single boyfriend she's ever had. And then uh, escorting as well. She had successfully hide, hid uh, prostitution from, you know, half a dozen boyfriends or something over the course of like 11 years. So as much as I knew, you know, pick, picking up women, approaching 6,000 women, sleeping with all these women, fuck buddies, all this different stuff. Uh, none of it made me even close to being able to detect uh, someone with a personality disorder who specifically took time and dedication to hide and conceal a lie in their life. Not just me, but the man who came before me. By the time it came around, I didn't have the snowball's chance in hell of catching it. Uh, at this point, I would, but only because I've gone through such a grueling experience now. And none of the speakers who could have been able to spot it were that close to her. A few speakers were uh, closer than Robbie to her, but no one was so close to her that they could have been able to pick up that she was secretly hiding like this huge, giant clusterfuck of cheating and escorting for the past you know, a couple decades at that point. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's really eye-opening. Thank you. Watch out for it, man. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I go into this a lot in the talk, too. Like, this is a big issue. It's like, how did I not see this? But how, also, how did not, like, 50 other speakers not see this? And, yeah, ultimately, man, it's the nature of the uh, the disorder. The number one trait is that they hide. They're really good at it. They're really dedicated to it, like a job. They take it as, like, a full-time job, uh, as I see it. It's amazing. Awesome, man. I've loved, uh, fucking loved this interview. One of my favorites in a long time and, um, super stoked to come out to, 
to Miami and and see in a I don't know two months or so. Yeah, uh, not even it's no, about no, a month yeah, away now. A month away. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, coming up, coming up quick, man. God, dude, it's been crazy. Such a crazy fucking year. Yeah, right. <laughs> but hey, I look forward to meeting your guys, team, man. The uh, couple guys that signed up. Uh, they're gonna have a really good time. I'm gonna get to meet them and hang out. So. All right, awesome, dude. I'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, fuck yeah. I had a really good time coming on. This was a good call. Me too. Thanks, buddy. Let's talk soon. And uh, thanks again. Later.